want to thank those of you that might have gone to our website and posted a question. Like I mentioned earlier, some go really, really deep. Some are humorous. Some are too hard for me to understand, <laughs> but I know God does. But a lot of them go really deep. And a lot of them, actually probably the majority of them, touched on the question or the topic that we're trying to address this morning. And that is, and this is the title of today, is God, are you really good? Seriously? God, are you really good? So many questions on QuestionGod.tv had to do with, with pain, with suffering, either personally or just generally. How, in the question, and how could there be a good God with everything that what's, that's going on? And I, I just want you to know, I, I don't think, Dave, Dave is speaking at the South Campus this morning, and, and I'm here, and I have some books here. This is just some of the books I've, I've read. I don't think there's ever been a message that I've studied for as hard as this one. And this is just some of them. And I know Dave had and we have met together and we have really, really agonized over this message. I want you to know that and we want to address it honestly and, and authentically. But we just need your grace because in, in 35, actually I went over in the first service, but in, in 35, 40 minutes we, we can't. <laughs> really get to the full depth of this. And I hope you're not expecting to have, have this question completely resolved by the time you leave here this morning because you'll, you'll probably be disappointed. We'll, we'll do our best to start going in the right direction. Um, so I just need your grace on, on this issue. And this will be true for all of the, the messages in this series. These questions go so deep that there's no way we can fully do them justice, but we will do our best. I grew up in church. Um, I know that many of you didn't. So what happened from, to me growing up in church in, in a fairly um, conservative setting, questioning God, either his existence or him, doubting him or asking clarifying questions wasn't encouraged at all. It's like, no, no, just, just this is what it is. Believe it. And, and that's it. We, we don't question. We don't doubt. And it was not a healthy environment. And growing up, as I started reading the Bible for myself, I started noticing the Bible itself and people in the Bible, whole books, questioning God, asking him, are you real? How can this happen? And what's going on? What are you thinking, God? And he's, he's being questioned and doubted in his own word. So that really set me free and gave me the freedom, and it gives you the freedom to ask God. See, in the, in the religious setting that I grew up in or in some of the churches that I grew up in, it was almost as if we were afraid of the answers, afraid of what might come up because it might rattle the status quo. It might question what we've always believed and always have done. But I want you to know something. K2 is not that kind of place. We want you to ask questions and to pursue truth. And for followers of Jesus, I don't think there can be any other option than to pursue truth and go wherever truth leads you. And so that's what we're trying to do with, with this series, is really find truth in these questions. And so today we're going to start with this question that's clearly number one throughout questioning God. The majority of the questions there deal with this issue. Can there be a good God in the midst of everything that goes on around us? 
And so, like I said, I've, we've read a lot and done a lot of research. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of the thoughts that, that I'm going to share this morning aren't, aren't original to me. And this question has, has puzzled people throughout history. And so um, I'm just going to try and take you on this journey with me that, that I've gone on um, personally and also in preparing for today. So there is no doubting, there is no ignoring that there is evil out there, right? Anybody here? No evil out there? Okay, so we're all, all on the same page. There's pain and there's suffering out there. And I would venture to say that every single one of you, as well as myself, we have all experienced pain and suffering in our lives. We've all gone through, we've all experienced evil in our lives. And that is true for all generations, for all civilizations, all through history. There has been suffering and pain, whether that started you know, in, the ancient, in ancient Rome with a volcano wiping out whole cities, or in, in, more recently in this century, we've had two world wars that have devastated the world. In 63, some of you, and you know who you are, remember how the assassination of Kennedy shocked the world. How could that happen? I remember sitting in front of the TV and watching the Space Shuttle Challenger go up and just explode in front of my eyes. Lives just evaporated like that in front of the whole world. And I'm sure all of us remember where we were when we heard about September 11th. How could that happen? I remember sitting in my living room in Germany. It was the afternoon in Germany and turning on CNN and seeing that tower just... Collapse thousands of lives. You saw people jump out of the 200th floor of a building <laughs> because that seemed better than burning. 2004, maybe even greater, greater in quantity, and a tsunami wiping out a quarter of a million people. Katrina in 2005, and then on a, more, on a more personal and local level, if you watched the news this week and you heard about Elizabeth Smart telling her story. And what she went through. If I had a pulpit like a real church, I would just hammer my fist on that. And say, how can that happen? And I imagine that would have been my girl. How can that be? How can God allow that? And in my own life, I, I lost my dad in 95 in a car wreck because somebody decided to drink and not rest, hit my parents' car right off the autobahn onto a tree, Ended my life's, my dad's life at 47 years old. Three years ago, my wife lost her mother to breast cancer. One month ago, she lost her dad to brain cancer. And I know all of you have stories like that. Stories of your own life, your own family, friends, loved ones. It's there. And we all have to deal with it. And everybody throughout history has, to deal with, has had to deal with it. And that's why this question isn't new. All generations have asked these questions. Why do these things happen? God, why do you allow it? In fact, George Barner, he's a Christian 
pollster. He goes around, asks people questions, takes surveys, and brings us the results. And a few years ago, he, he went around asking people, said, if you had one question that you can ask God, and he will answer it, he will give you an answer. You have one question. What is it going to be? The number one answer of a question that people would ask God was this. God, why is there pain and suffering? That's the one question that the vast majority of all people ask. Said, That's the, answer, the question I want an answer to. And I'm sure it's a question that you want an answer to. It's a question that people that posted questions want an answer to. The oldest book in the Bible is the book of Job. And the whole book deals with that question. Job was a wealthy man. A man after God's own heart. He did what God wanted from him. He loved God with all his heart. And God had blessed him. He had a large family, children and a wife and lots of possessions. He was a wealthy man. And he dealt with things in a godly manner. But then disaster struck. His children were taken away. His servants were killed. Natural disaster took all his, his possessions, all his belongings. He just gets one news after another. Actually, it says one messenger comes and gives the news of his children being taken And he hasn't even finished. The next guy comes and gives him news about his servants and then his belongings. And it's like you read the newspaper today. Just one bad news after another. And then his health was affected and he got terribly sick. And that's when he started going, God, what are you doing? What are you doing to me? And he asked that question all through the book of Job. What are you doing? The oldest question of humanity. So let's have a look at it. Let's have a look at the suffering that's out there. And let's try and, and find answers. What is God doing? You know, I think there's two categories of, of suffering that I would identify. There's, there's the personal suffering. My dad dying. Um, a tragedy in your family's life. There's, there's personal issues that we go through. It could be financial crisis. There's all kinds of things that we go through personally. Do you know what research shows? 95% of all pain and suffering, 95% of all of our pain and suffering is self-inflicted. Now, not necessarily by ourselves, but by other human beings' choices. 95% of the pain that we go through is because we or somebody else has made a choice that has led to our pain and our suffering. 95% is because we make selfish choices and others make selfish choices. And you know, selfish choices, the Bible tells us, started right after creation with Adam and Eve. When they made a decision, having everything that they needed, having the perfect environment that God could, could, could have created, he said it was all good. Okay, now Adam and Eve, here's a few, sets, here's a few rules. Here's what's good for you, here's what's bad for you. But they made a choice to choose what was bad for them. And that set off a snowball that is still rolling today. And going and going and going. And all of us make choices that God warns us of. He says, don't do that. It's not good for you. We do it anyways. And it causes pain and suffering in our lives and in the lives of other people. So we make choices. And then we want to turn around and say, God, what are you doing? <laughs> What are you doing? And you know what he's saying? Almost every page in this book 
God wants his people. He says, guys, I've created you. I know what's good for you. I know what's bad for you. And this over here, not good. It's not good. This is what's good for you. And we repeatedly go here. And we do what isn't right, what isn't good. And we and others suffer the consequences. And then we go say, well, God, what are you doing? He says, I'm warning you. I've warned you again and again and again and again and again. And you go back and do it anyways, again and again and again. And then we're deceived <laughs> into blaming him. You know what Adam said when God confronted him? He said, why did you do that, Adam? He said, well, it's the wife that you gave me. <laughs> it was his fault from the beginning, always God's fault. So it's not God causing us pain and suffering. It is us causing ourselves and others suffering. And you know what else? This was a really new thought for me. It is us by our choices causing God pain and suffering. Most of you know the story of Noah and the flood in Genesis 6. You know what it says in Genesis 6? When God looked at his creation and he looked at humanity and he looked at that generation and the wickedness and the evilness that they were choosing, you know what it says? says the Lord grieved over it. He grieved over it. He, the word used there is an intense word of pain and grieving. It pained God to see the choices that his creation had made. And it was enough. It was too much. In the very beginning, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's sons, Cain was the first murderer. It didn't take very long in humanity. He killed his brother out of pride and selfishness. And then God confronted him saying, Cain, where's your brother? How do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? Mm, yes, but that's besides the point. Um, where is he? Because you know what, Abel? His blood is crying out to me. It, it hurts me. What I'm hearing pains me and hurts me. And there's consequences to your choices. But we want to live in a world where there is no consequences. We don't want to be told what to do. But when we do what we want, we want to blame him for not stopping us from doing it. The majority of humanity's suffering is caused because we willingly ignore what God tells us is good for us. And we do what he tells us is not good for us. And that, that by the way, is not just for our individual suffering. If you look at, if you look at the problem of, of food in the world, the lack of food in some parts of the world, it's not because God hasn't provided enough food for everybody on this planet. You know why it is? Because we in the Western world have decided that it's not profitable enough to distribute it. We make choices that affect others. If people don't have enough water, it's because we have made the choice not to use all the resources God has given to make it happen. McManus, he's a pastor in Los Angeles who's dealt with this quite a bit, the pastor of Mosaic. He said in one of his messages on this, he says, what is God supposed to do if we keep making these evil choices? What is he supposed to do? So most of our suffering is caused by our choices. But then there is, there is this other category of, of suffering that seems to be in a different category. What about these disasters? What about Katrina? 
What about tsunamis and, and, and things like that? It seems, seems they're so random. Well, sorry, you were born in Thailand. That's, that's just too bad. Um, what about, well, you, you were just born in that family where you had a father who did not care about you. Well, sorry, you were born in this ethnicity. You're going to be per- per- persecuted for that. It seems so random, so, so senseless. You know, there's these theories out there that everything in this world is interconnected. You know, that everything somehow fits together. I actually saw this, this um, theory where somebody made a very plausible case for the fact that a butterfly flapping its wings in the Amazon and what that causes right there locally and how it, and then it just has this trickle effect eventually leads to an avalanche in North America. Right? There's all kinds of theories out there of, of how everything is interconnected, all of creation. Do you know what? I think the Bible supports that. I don't know about the butterfly and the avalanche, but that, that everything is connected. And, and think about this. If there is one creator who created everything, wouldn't it make sense that somehow everything fits together and is held together and is connected? See, the Bible tells us that the choice that Adam and Eve made in the beginning didn't just affect their relationship with God, it also affected all of creation, the earth and everything God has created. You know, somehow that that is still true today, but your choice of deodorant can have an effect on the ozone layer and how the rest of humanity is exposed to the sun. Now, cumulatively. So this this is happening. What the Bible tells us in Romans 8, 19 to 20, is that when we decided, when humanity decided to rebel against God, it it caused all of creation to go out of whack. This is what it says. In Romans 8, verses 19 to 21, the creation waits in eager expectations for the sons of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, humans, in hope, that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. See, what's going on in our creation, in our, on our earth, that seems to be going downhill, is an effect of humanity's choice to rebel against God. And the earth is waiting to be liberated just like we as humans need to be liberated by God and set free. See, the the corrupt and broken down nature of our earth reflects our brokenness in front of God and our need for Him to set us free. So there is all the suffering. It's all there. And why doesn't God do anything else about it? Isn't that the next question? Okay, it's there. Understand why it's there, it's happening, we're making bad choices. But why doesn't God intervene? Why doesn't he do something about it? And there's two, two avenues that I want to go down with you and explore with you here this morning. The first one is that I think when it comes to suffering and pain and evil, that we have a problem of perspective. I think we have a problem of perspective. First of all, Our perspective, I feel as humans, is that all pain and suffering is always viewed as evil, always viewed as negative. 
And yes, sometimes it's hard to see sense in it. But isn't it true? I would venture to say for probably all of us. I know I have had the experience that some of the hardest times in my life, like losing my dad, has led to incredible growth in my life, has led to more depth in my relationship with God, has taught me things that I wouldn't have learned. Now, is that the reason why God took my dad, so that I can learn to depend more on God than my dad? I don't think that's the, the one reason. But good things came out of a really bad situation. Also, we, you know, we all function on this principle, don't we? Who works out in here regularly? I used to, I don't anymore, but when I do, <laughs> when I work out, I'm willing to take pain. I'm willing to be hurt the next day. Why? Because I know there's going to be a good outcome of it. Same with parenting. Those of us that have children, we parent and, and impose really horrible, mean, negative things on our children, don't we? In their eyes, Dad, that's so mean. And sometimes our children literally think we're willing for, and, and mean, mean, you know, out of meanness, restrict certain things and don't allow certain things. But we do it. Why? Because I know good is going to come out of that. So we function on that principle all the time. In fact, pain and suffering can be necessary at times. You know that the sensation of pain alone in our body is a lifesaver. If we did not have the capacity to feel pain, we couldn't survive. It's a protector. My mom told me this story about... Raising my older brother, Daniel, He's, he was a really um, strong-willed child, let's just say that. And uh, not always easy. And as a little kid, when he just started moving around, my parents had this, we, in Germany we called them Swedish ovens, these little ovens with a glass door and you put wood inside and it gets really hot and it, it gives wonderful heat in the house. The problem is it gets really hot. I think now they make them where the glass doesn't get so hot anymore. Not back then. Really, really hot. So my brother Daniel started moving around and was just drawn to this oven constantly. The flames, and it just looked so enticing. And he just wanted to go and pull himself up on it and look and touch. And my mom said, I was behind him constantly, all the time. I couldn't get anything done. I was like, no, Daniel, no, no, don't go there. And eventually she said, this can't go on. He needs to learn. So what she did, she held him. She took his little finger, held it, and came close to the oven and touched it just for a split second and went back immediately. My brother, obviously, in, in pain and burning and he got a blister and screamed in pain. Do you know why my mother did it? Because she knew he was going to go there. <laughs> he was going to go there. Better I control this and I teach him through that pain than for him to learn that on his own. Because if he learns that on his own and he goes and he touches and face. Can you imagine? So my mother, with tears in her eyes, deeply pained by having to do this, did this to teach him and to protect him from more, more consequences. And as soon as she was done, she said she cried in, in just in pain over having had to do this and causing this pain in Daniel's life. And she hugged him and held him. You know what he was thinking? You evil woman, get away from me. Why would you do it? Why on earth would you do this? Now, he, he wasn't really verbally processing it. I'm just thinking this went on in his head. He says, what an evil woman God has placed me with. She takes me. She, she gives me this pain. And 
okay, she cannot be good. She can't love me. I'm going elsewhere. I'm looking somewhere else. You know, you laugh and that sounds funny. That's exactly what we do with God. Pain comes and it's no fun and it hurts. And we turn our back to him and accuse him. Could it be that he's doing at times exactly what my mother had to do? That with tears in his eyes, he's allowing things because he knows they're going to save us from worse. And then when we're going through that pain, that he, like my mother, wants to just hold us and cry with us and comfort us and then care for us like my mom then did for that finger? Could that be that we need to change our perspective a little bit? Could it be that God wants to teach us, protect us, and then cry with us and comfort us and love us? Any of you remember Lockerbie and that Pan Am flight going down in, in Scotland? Imagine that what to happen here in Salt Lake. Imagine the plane takes off at Salt Lake International with 200 people on board, takes off, and some militant group goes and shoots it out of the sky. And it, it crashes into the mountains over here. And your father, your mother, maybe your child is on that plane. Could that seem good? Now that's a different scale, isn't it? <laughs> it's different from a pinky on a hot oven. Well, now imagine the militant group that shot it down is the U.S. Air Force because they knew someone was going to take that plane and go into a Rice-Eccles Stadium filled with 50,000 people. Now, that doesn't lessen the pain of losing somebody, but it gives another perspective, doesn't it? Somebody who had a much broader perspective on what was going on had to make a decision. And since 9-11, we would afford the U.S. government that kind of discretion, wouldn't we? Because they have, a, they have a broader view of things going on. They, they have a much broader perspective than we have. They have also a lot more responsibility. And with that comes more, um, we afford them a different standard. Now, we've just gone from our perspective to a government's perspective. Now imagine you're not just running a government. But you're running the universe. And you're responsible for all of history. And you have to make decisions. From that perspective, that will look very different than from our perspective, won't it? See, when we look at, at life, at history, really, we only look at our lives. That's really mostly what we're concerned with. And we can't even get a great perspective on our life. We're dealing with today, maybe tomorrow. It's like we're looking at, at the panorama of our lives, but we only have a tiny, tiny hole to look through. And that's all we're seeing. Everything left, right, top, bottom of that, we can't see. And we make decisions and judge God by our tiny perspective on life when he sees all of humanity and makes decisions based on that. And yet here we are, so, so limited and so self-focused, and we want to accuse him. That's what Job did. You know what Job said at the end of what God said to Job at the end of that book? He lets Job vent. And you know, God can take it. All through scripture, people say, God, come on, please explain this to me. Help me out here. And he will have that. He will listen to that. But eventually he said to, you know what he said to Job? He said, Job, 
All right, now let's settle down here. And he says, Job, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth, Job? Where were you? Where were you when I formed the mountains? Job, where were you when I filled the oceans? Where were you? You want to tell me what I need to do and what's right and what's wrong? Trust me, Job. So he says, trust me. And this is, this is where this will fall short for some of you. You know, we can go through in an intellectual exercises and try and explain certain things, but you know, eventually it will come down to faith. It will come down to faith that we trust that God knows what he's doing and that he has created us with responsibility, that he has created us with choice and that there's consequences to choices. So let's talk about personal choice. That's the other avenue I want to go down. So we talked about different perspective. Now let's talk about personal choice. You know, the Bible tells us when we were created that we were created in God's image. You know, an image is, reflects something, doesn't it? If, um, say, an artist paints something, if you look at Da Vinci and all the things that he has designed back then and things he thought of, the pictures he painted, it tells you something about Da Vinci. You look at all his work and it tells you, dude, that guy was a genius. <laughs> he was creative and curious. Just by looking at his work, you can know that about Da Vinci. So then you look at Picasso's stuff. And it tells you, oh, that guy was really gifted, but maybe just a little disturbed or, you know, just a little weird. Then you look at, you know, art in a more modern way, movies, you know, Quentin Tarantino. He's a genius movie maker, but he seems just a little bit provocative. So you, you look at what people create and it tells you something about them. And that's what it means that we were created in God's image by looking at us. We as humans should reflect God's character. And a huge part of God's character is that he knows good from evil and that he has the power to choose one over the other. And that's something that God has created us with. That's what makes us human. If we had no choice between good, between evil, between love or between hate, we wouldn't be humans. What would we be? We would be robots. And what would that say about God? That he's a controlling person who is not interested in free choice so we were created in god's image we have the power and the ability to discern good from evil and then the power to choose one over the other and then we want to turn around and say god why do you give us that choice we live in america the land of freedom don't we isn't the 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 power to choose one of the top values here in this country, the power to choose, freedom to choose. And in fact, we go to places where that isn't the case and we free them to have that choice. But then when people exercise that choice, we want to go turn back to God and say, well, well why? It's inconsistent, isn't it? God's created us with the power to discern and to choose. And he's also... And this is a big part of being created in his image. John, 1 John 4.16 tells us God is love. So for us to be created in his image, we have to have the capacity to love. And again, love can only happen if you choose love over hate. There's got to be a choice, otherwise it can't be love. 
So for God to have created a world without potential evil would have had to mean a world without choice. Is that the kind of world you want to live in? So why is there so much evil? It isn't because God is powerless to stop it. And it isn't, and this is the other question we often hear, is then if, he, if, he, if it's not because he can't stop it, then it's because he doesn't care, which is almost worse than not being able to stop it. The other accusation is that he just doesn't care. But that just isn't true. We see it throughout Scripture how our choices cause him pain. He cares, but he's given us a choice. And we have to live with the consequences of that. So I think we need to stop blaming him for ours and other people's choices. And you know what? We will never be able to control other people's choices. There will always be the fact that other people will make choices that you have to live with. And that will cause you pain and suffering. But what we can do is start making choices that will start make a difference. And if you see evil in the world, a big part of that is it's because we as Christ followers aren't really making the right choices oftentimes. So what about you? What choice do you want to make? What difference do you want to make? Will you choose right over wrong? This is what Joshua says. Joshua 24, 15. He addresses this. He says, but if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, and that's your choice. If you say, you know what? I hear all that, but you know what? It's not good enough for me. I'm, I'm going to choose not, <laughs> not to follow him. Then you choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your forefathers served beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. And then Joshua says this, but as for me and my household, I will serve the Lord. And I can't stand here before you this morning saying in the midst of things that I have had, had to go through in the past and what I might have to still go through in the past, I have made the choice to serve the Lord in the midst of that. Because you know what? I have experienced Him as the loving and good God that the Bible tells us about. I have experienced Him as the God who doesn't cause my evil, but a God who, who is grieved by the things that are going on in my life that cause me pain. I've also experienced Him as, as a God who who redeems evil, who turns evil into, into blessings. And I've chosen to follow him. So I want to go over a few truths that, that the Bible tells us about God in the midst of, of the evil that's non, undoubtedly going on around us. The Bible does tell us that he is love, that God is love in his, in his very being. Do you know one way we can see that is by the good things he does place in our lives. It's so easy to focus on the negative, isn't it? And our memory is very selective too that way, isn't it? So easy to have bad things going on and right away blame and forget all the blessings that he has put in our lives. If evil seems to point at God not existing, then what about the good? Shouldn't the good then point to, to an ultimate good being existing who places these things in our lives? First Corinthians tells us about, about love from a b biblical perspective. 
And if God is love, I'm just going to put God in, into this passage instead of love. It says, God is patient. God is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. He's not self-seeking. He's not easily angered. He keeps no record of wrongs. God does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. He always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. He loves you. And everything that he allows in your life, he does out of an intense, indescribable, and almost ununderstandable, incomprehensible love for you. God's love also shows himself in that he, he redeems evil in our lives. He uses it for the good. He uses it to protect us, to teach us, to, to, to develop us, to improve us. Romans 8.28, I've read it earlier. And in Romans 5, he says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And isn't hope what we all need in the midst of tough times? Hope is what God wants to give you. And then this next evidence of his love in the midst of suffering totally blows me away. And that is the fact that God was willing, that the creator of the universe was willing to subject himself in the form of his son to the most evil you could imagine. And he did it for you and for me. See, when Jesus, the creator of the universe, allowed his creation to nail him to that tree, he took on all the evil that ever has been done or will be done unto himself. Have you ever lived with guilt in your life? Have you ever had to carry guilt with you over a prolonged period of time? I have, and I tell you, it is no fun. You know what Jesus did that day on the cross? He allowed his Father to pile all the guilt of every evil choice humanity would ever make and place them on him. For that time on the cross, he carried every guilt, every burden you could ever, ever carry. And he did that for you and for me. And it's such a beautiful example how the worst possible situation leads to the most beautiful thing, which is our salvation and our peace with God was accomplished through the most horrific act in humanity. So in the midst of evil, God saves us. He endured it for us. Now we still, we still have to suffer bad consequences. And here's the next truth about God. Even when he allows that to happen, he wants to go through it with you and with me. And that's a promise he gives in his word. Just like my mother took my brother and, and held him in the midst of that pain and comforted him and loved him and cared for him, that's what God is offering you and me. That's what he wants to do for you. Walk through it with you. Give you the strength and the comfort and the peace that you need in the midst of it. And you know what we choose? We choose to shake our fist at him and walk away 
into the, the worst situation we could be in, and that's being separated from him. When he's just waiting there with his loving arms, say, come here. I, I know how bad this is, and I'm grieving with you. I'm suffering through this with you. Come to me. I want to hold you in this and take you through this. And then lastly, and the band can come up um, while I close this. Now, we talked about perspective. Our perspective on suffering is so skewed because we only see the here and now. We only see our life here and now. But you know what God has for us? God promises eternity with him to us. And so from his perspective, our life here and the periods of time in our life that we go through, at some point he calls it they are light and momentary troubles. Now, I don't want to minimize your troubles. I know they don't feel light. And I know they don't feel just in the moment. But in the light of eternity and what God promises us in the future for those that follow and love him, an eternity in peace and joy without suffering, without tears and without pain, that is God's perspective. That's what he's offering to us. That's where he wants to take us. He wants to rescue us from these experiences forever. And so I just want to encourage you. I know that from our perspectives, the things that we have to go through feel harsh. They're painful. And sometimes they feel unjust. Just like my children, sometimes with the choices that I have to make for them, they look at me and say, like, oh, Dad, you're so mean. And they don't see that even the tough choices I have to make for them out of love for them, out of a love and out of, out of a perspective that's greater than theirs, out of a perspective that knows this is what you need, this is what's going to be good for you in the long run. You don't understand it now, but you will. Would you be willing to take that step of faith with me and consider that in the midst of suffering? And then I want to challenge you to to in the midst of that, take a step to him. When he's waiting, when you, when you and everything in you just wants to bob your fist and say, forget this, would you just take a step of faith and say, okay, if that's true what you've said, Christian, let me try this. And take a step to him and say, okay, God, I don't know what you're doing and what you're up to and why this is going on, but it sucks. And you can be that honest. It stinks. But I'm going to trust that you are who your word says you are a sovereign or powerful, loving God. And I'm going to come to you for comfort and for peace and for care and for love.